Very excited to present to you an interview with an American expat who's been in the Thai real estate market for over 14 years and has bought and sold over 40 properties in Bangkok. We talked about the lessons he learned throughout his career and advice he has for people who are just getting started. Now, what really impressed me about my friend Raj was his ability to overcome the challenges associated with being a foreign buyer in Thailand in a sober manner while remaining optimistic about new opportunities. And I was super impressed by his genuine appreciation for Thailand and his genuine desire to help improve the real estate industry as a whole. So without further ado, Here's my conversation with Raj. Before we get into all of this, I think it would be good for the audience to get to know you and like your background and basically to establish a little bit of credibility as to your experience um, right. do, buying and selling real estate in Thailand so that you know they know right. uh, who this person that's talking to them, what, mm -hmm. where they're coming from. So let's actually start off with a brief background of yourself leading okay. up to Thailand and then your experience with buying and selling property in Thailand here. Okay, yeah, actually, so I, um, I have a consulting background. So I, I grew up in the States and I came over here to work in a property management company, which I ended up taking over. Uh, which year was, was that when you moved in? This was 2007. Okay. So I was coming back and forth for, um, for a few years, and I decided to take the plunge and move over here in 2007. So I've been in, um, my family has dealt with property in the U.S., so I've bought and sold plenty of properties in the U.S., um, even when I was young. So I've always, wow. I've always kind of had like a mortgage and always jumped on that train. Um, I used to leverage several properties at the same time back when it was allowed with the banks. Um, so property's always been kind of in my blood. And then I come over here to Thailand and there's a big opportunity. It's still, even though it was modernizing by the time I got here, it was still a bit of the wild west when it came to how properties were structured, how deals were structured, kind of the rules, the game. Um, so it was interesting and I, I thought it was just amazing, right? There was these gaps in knowledge between everybody I talked to and, um, you know, there's a lot of great property sitting vacant, even though there is a big demand for it. And there is like an interesting mindset with everybody. So I, I just found a great place for me to slot into, uh, just being flexible and working hard. So when you came in at 07, that was right in the middle of the great financial crisis, right? So yeah, you were yeah. in a economics, so I mean, Thailand itself was also in an economic slum, which right. is actually really timely because right now we are mm -hmm. in a pretty, horrible economic slump too. So yeah. how did you get started in that? So it actually, you know, I mean, it's, it's different if you get started in a, in a bull market where everything goes up, right. you just buy and you make money, but here right. you are coming into a foreign country mm -hmm. during an economic slump. So actually tell us about how you got into your first few properties. Well, did I have friends at Fannie Mae that warned me about the financial crisis in 2005? Yes. Did I listen to them? No. <laughs> but I did happen to sell a few properties that I owned in the U.S. to bring some money over here um, okay. around 2007. And that's how I got, a, I got started with my first few properties. Uh, the timing was amazing because back then the exchange rate was pretty good too. It, mm -hmm. was, um, it, was, it was the U.S. dollar was a bit stronger uh, to the Thai bot. 
so it was great. So I brought it over. Uh, I didn't have this premeditated idea that the market was going to crash in the US. Uh, I didn't know that. It was just a little bit of luck. Um, and then I came over here and there was not much of a slump. It took a bit of time for it to reach over here in Thailand. And Thailand itself has already gone through its liquidity crisis during the Tomyung era, right? So I actually found that properties were still, um, they were still going up in value. And I was able to kind of come in and like negotiate pretty well. So I actually started off with some office space and some condos. So, um, and I think I was telling you before, I, I've moved more into commercial space, but in the beginning I was focused really on condos and lands. Okay. And uh, so you said office space, but also residential as well. Did you yes. deal with residential? Okay. Correct. Now, so when you got started, um, what, what resources or expertise did you uh, leverage? Did you use an uh, agent or lawyer or, or like what kind of tools did you use? Actually, this is a funny story. So I, I, used, a, uh, I used a lawyer that was recommended to me. I don't want to name names, but that was, that was kind of like my go-to people. So they were going to kind of structure everything for me and do everything for me. Um, and I also had a team that was helping me with some of the interactions and management and stuff like that. And systematically, every one of them disappointed me. Um, even the lawyer, I don't know if we can go, go into the details, but I was doing a land deal on Sukhumat 39. And this was a property owned by the Bunam Young family. And I was able to get like a piece of the family property that was in distress. And... This was, uh, this was like a block land, right? So it didn't have access to the road. So we had to do a servitude document between the family members and, and myself, which is called a parajamyom. And I actually ended up using a lawyer to help me negotiate all of these things because eventually once I get that, I can sell it because the value goes up in price once I'm able to lock that down. Um, and she ended up doing a deal with everybody else telling them that I wanted to take over their lands and build something that I didn't want to build. Um, so she kept saying, oh, we need some extra money to work on this deal. We need some extra money. Um, so fine. And this is my lawyer, right? She's trying so, to hustle you here. Trying to hustle me. I didn't know oh that my. at the time. Right. Oh my God. Um, okay. But every well, time is... I was trying to be my normal, like cautious self, like, I don't understand why. Oh no, no, no. This is how we do things. Your first tie scam. Yeah. Um, okay. my first scam, I would say that it's a, I, I don't believe in tie scams. I think that there's scams all over the world. Right. right. When people see opportunities to take advantage of somebody green or naive, yeah. uh, or if they're in distress and they just yeah. need, need extra money, they'll do it. It's not a type. It, it's yeah. like a people thing. All right. So, um, yeah. So anyways, I ended up meeting with the family members directly one day with my own staff. And then we just worked it all out. They're like, oh, we thought you were building this, this, and this. This is what your lawyer said. And they're like, no, all I need is this because we just need a document saying that we're not going to build up to the land, but we need to run uh, water, electric, stuff like that through the shared land. They're like, of course. Actually, we already have that partially signed between us. We can just extend it to you. Done. It was all done in a day. And then we just went to the land department and got it settled within a week. Um, so I went to my lawyer and she basically threatened to sue me for all the work she did and blah, blah, blah. And actually, I got the other family members to come and testify um, mm. that... And so we filed a police report and did all this stuff. And then she just kind of like disappeared and did her thing. Um, the reason I'm telling you this story is I learned earlier on, there's, there's 
really good lawyers here and I do use lawyers for some deals, uh, but you have to be careful. You have to put your, you have to keep your eyes open and understand what you're doing. And if people are doing something on your behalf, you need to know the details of what they're doing and why. Would you say that your instance is a rare case because it seems like it was flipped. The lawyer was acting against your interests, but the other party was was helping you out. The the other Thai side that was supposed to supposed right. to be on the the opposite end of the deal was actually very accommodating and very understanding and helping you out. Now, for those who don't know the Phnom Penh family, like they're a very international minded, very prestigious, I mean, former prestigious, prestigious yeah. former prime minister, and all like that. So, yeah. would your case be? Um, a rarity or would, would it be quite- I would say all cases like this are a rarity. I've done close to 40, maybe even over 40 property deals uh, myself through my company, um, or, and I brokered a few deals as well here. I rarely have problems, yeah. I'll be honest. Like I, I rarely have problems. Nobody's ever tried to forge my signature on anything or this and that. I see it happen and there's court cases but it's not the norm. I, I would say out of 10,000 transactions that go on every day, maybe like one, two, three, four, five of them. They're just the ones that get attention. So people think it's everywhere. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah, your story here is very unique, but also quite impressive too, because here you are getting kind of getting hustled and scammed on your very first deal. But yeah, you're, it was, you were it was able actually to, my second or third deal, but yeah, I was you're able to like uh, overcome that and that you didn't let that become an obstacle. And you went on to buy and sell up, like you said, up to 40 properties. So could you tell right. us? So, OK, lesson learned here. Right. Be very careful, lawyer. So so then how did you apply this and move on to? So talk about the rest of your career where you went and bought and sold all these properties. Okay, so I would say the, the mindset I had when I moved over here was that, um, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I also thought Thailand was this crazy place before I moved over here, right? And I remember one of the first times I came here, I was walking down Siloam Road and I bumped into an elephant and I was just like, how is this even a thing, right? <laughs> so my, my whole mindset was a little bit kooky before I got here. Right. And I think having a few challenges with people on my team, uh, lawyers, people that are supposed to protect me. Right. Um, it just reminded me that the nothing is owed to me over here. Right. I'm sure there's a set of rules. They have comprehensive laws. But at the end of the day, you have you have to watch out for yourself and you have to build trust with people that you think are worth trusting, not just because they have a title. Uh, so I, I learned that earlier on. And I, I didn't have that much of a difficult time, to be honest, uh, with property. I just did my homework, right? So back then, the SkyTrain was expanding and um, the MRT was expanding, but people were still afraid to go into the MRT. So there was a lot of properties around the MRT that were not highly valued because at that time, ties were still afraid to go underground. There was like some, there's some superstition about it. Um, believe it or not, there was a lot of superstition about high floors and offices. Yeah. So, um, I mean, now I ended up with an office on uh, the 41st floor in uh, Ratchida, right? In RS Tower. Back then, I couldn't, like, I couldn't get it rented out for years because people were, like, people brought their staff and they were afraid to rent it, right? There was all these, like, weird, like, pitfalls um, around this stuff. But in general, I found that pricing was pretty reasonable, um, and then you can negotiate. Back then, a lot of people had, um, they had mortgages with the bank or they had loans on the Chinook. 
So they needed to get out of debt. And a lot of times they were giving away things like at a, at a pretty good price. You just had to talk to them, pry a little bit, open up, and um, you can get really good deals. Okay. So, and, and it was quite easy to sell. There was not a huge oversupply of condos, um, office spaces. Land prices were affordable. Um, I could get in, I can get out. Sometimes I can double my money in three years, right? Um, so there, there was a lot of like, I, there was a lot of luck involved as well. And the market I thought was quite good. So I could buy from somebody, they can go on and do something good with the money. I can go on and do something good with the property. Yeah. Um, it was kind of a win-win situation in my opinion. So and I sound- did a lot. Yeah, I just okay. worked a lot. I did a lot, okay. of, a lot of transactions. Yeah. So it sounds to me that um, the, the picture you're painting the, since, mm-hmm. since your first deal leading up until now, um, that there were a lot of advantages in your favor. You were talking about like, okay, yeah, you had to sit down and do your homework and really study the market and all like that. But also it seems like um, you said the market is a bit more accommodating. You mentioned like these inefficiencies of the superstitions and people probably not not really up to speed in terms of like the the economic development and they're still having this old mentality kind of mindset. You mentioned uh, Thailand was during a time where there was expansion with the new new line. Uh, Mm -hmm. Land prices are still relatively cheap. Right. Um, A lot of people today would 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 listen to that with with jealousy. Right. They think that the market has actually matured a bit. Mm-hmm. even to the point of an oversupply. So could right. you actually talk about like your assessment of the market right now and whether the opportunities still present themselves now? Okay, um, let's, let's, let's break that down into two parts. I think number one, we'll use my experience because I came in at a time where I felt I did fairly well with the market. Um, it worked well for me. So of course I see a maturing of the market and I don't like what's happening with the market because doing the same things will not yield the same results, right? But you could say that about the time where I came in, there was people telling me not to invest in Thailand, not to buy certain things, even when I came over here, right? Even my own staff were saying, oh, you're crazy for buying this or blah, 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 this and that. So I think there's, there's always gonna be that generational gap between people whenever they come in because their frame of reference is when this amount of work yielded these results, right? And that always changes, right? That always changes, it always gets more difficult. Okay. Uh, the other side of things is I, I, see a, I see a trend that worries me in the property market right now. And not every property, like there's, there's a vast property market here and there's a lot of little markets that I believe anybody can make money in, right? Um, if you're a savvy investor or a bit lucky, but everybody's focused on the condo market right now. And what I see is that Thailand is modernizing. It's modernizing, the internet data is becoming more prevalent. So the government is doing the natural thing, which is figuring out strategies to incorporate more taxes to more people and more properties around the country, right? So what you're seeing now is they've revamped the whole property tax laws, right? Before they were very vague, uh, negotiable. Sometimes they didn't exist for people. Sometimes they were caught in a bad situation and had to shell out a lot. Um, so it, it, was, it was a very strange situation. Now it's actually quite streamlined. They've been able to tackle almost every single type of property. 
Um, they've sent notices out to everybody. They've given a timing to like pay a very small amount compared to the price of the properties. So they've given time to ease everybody into it. So I actually think they have a pretty good strategy for how they're rolling it out. Um, but what does, this, what does this mean? It means that the future, there's more expenses with the properties. And the government with these taxes is trying to get people to move property and develop on lands specifically, right? L empty lands are being heavily taxed um, if they're not used for anything other than agriculture. Right. So this makes people want to sell. So family properties that have been in generation after generation that maybe the future generation is not doing as much as the old generation, right? They're just sitting dormant. The government doesn't want that. They want everybody to develop because that brings in business, that brings in more taxes, right? And more taxes modernizes, helps modernize the country, right? I, I see that. Um, but what does this mean for the bottom line of things? Uh, developers now are incentivized to develop land. So when they come in with a new land, whatever price it is, they're giving every incentive to build, to build a condo, to build a mall, to do this, to do that. Um, so they're given priorities for mortgage rates and lending rates and this and that. So you're seeing all of the resources and all of the priorities and privileges driving into the new properties, which is great. Right? It's developing according to the government's long-term plan. But what it means is for people who have older properties, five-year-old property, 10-year-old property, 20-year-old property, they're not getting any of those priorities. So you see the market going up. Some condos are 200,000 baht a square meter, 400,000 baht a square meter. I saw a 35 square, like, square meter bedroom for, I mean, it was like half a million dollars. Yeah, it's outrageous. It's outrageous. It's crazy, right? Um, and that's great if the market works. So if I can turn around and sell that for a 20% profit in a few years, even a 15% profit in a few years, go for it. It's driving it. But what's happening is um, there's money to buy these properties, but they just sit there because you can't make a 5% return on a condo that's 400,000 baht per square meter. Nobody's going to spend $3,000 on a tiny studio apartment, right? So what these people are going to do is they're going to rent it out for peanuts. They're going to rent it out for maybe 20,000 baht, 30,000 baht. What does that do for other property? So now you have 100 square meter properties. People can't sell them. They can't sell them because the buyers can't get 100% mortgages. I don't know if I'm making sense. But there's this trickle are, down. Go on, yeah. There's this trickle down effect that's happening with the rest of the market, right? And this is why I, I shy people away from buying condos unless they know what they're doing, right? Um, there's one thing if there's like a big boom and prices are cheap and you know you come in you take some risk, but even if prices are cheap, you're stuck with a lot of the property that you buy here. It's really hard to sell unless you have an edge on your competition. If you bought it much cheaper than everybody else in that building, you can sell it cheaper than everybody else in that building, right? If you have some special design skills that you can do to renovate a property that makes it look nice and cheap, you might have a chance, but I find most property owners, they want to buy a condo and redo it themselves or they want it cheap. Yeah. Uh, the other side is people underestimate the costs of what it is to actually buy a property. Right? There's a lot of taxes when you buy it. Uh, so there's transfer fees, business tax. Um, I'm not sure if you went over this already, 
in your other YouTube videos, but it's, uh, it's around like five to 6% of the cost to buy a property um, between transfer fees, business tax, stamp duty, withholding tax, depending on if you're a company or not. Yep. Um, then you have agent fees, right? And then when you sell, you have to negotiate those fees again with your buyer, right? So to break even on a property, it needs to be at least 10 to 15% higher than what you paid for it. So we have all these, um, I guess you'd say headwinds. So, right. so taxes coming online, mm -hmm. um, increasing um, overhead for right. current owners. Mm -hmm. And then you've got this, this seemingly constant influx of new condo developments coming yes. in. So you're, right. so you're experiencing what could be a oversupply. It doesn't mm -hmm. seem that appealing to be buying a condo now. So how... And then, and then people, um, you, you talked about people buying it for such a high price and then mm. finding that, gosh, they, need, they, they weren't be able to rent it out at the price they, they dreamed about. So they had to push prices down. So you've now got, you're now pushing down the rent, rental prices. Mm -hmm. So there's all these factors here. So how do you see this all playing out, right? And then how is this going to unfold in, say, the next five to 10 years? Okay. Um... It's a good question. And the honest answer is I don't know, right? I don't, have, um, I don't have a crystal ball that I can see into the future. And, but I, I have a strong belief in the long-term future of Thailand. And I'm a bit pie in the sky, if you ask me. I think in 10, 15 years, this country is going to do great, right? Um, but it's going through growing pains right now. And I think that there's a big gap in the strategy to get Thailand to where it needs to be, to modernize it, right? To compete with a Hong Kong and a Singapore, it has to make some aggressive moves. And, and I understand why the government's doing what it's doing. Um, but in the meantime, secondhand property has, has taken a hit. Yep. And I don't see anything changing in the next few years. There's been a few times where the government, they dropped the transfer fees for properties uh, they dropped the transfer fees, the business tax, the mortgage, uh, the mortgage rates for people. That generally causes a lot of transfers during that window when they do it. Um, so I would, I would love them to, I would love to see them do that again, um, but just for properties that are certain of a certain age, right? So if a property is more than five years, uh, give some incentives for moving it, right? Um, Thailand also needs a proper uh, MLM system, MLM or MLS system, right? So in the US, you can go online and you can get a general idea of what the market price is for everything. And you know how much you can put in to renovate that property to make it worth it. Or maybe you don't, right? Here, it's all over the place. So you have one condo on the corner of, you know, with something, and it's new, it's 250,000 baht a square meter, right? And it's totally sold out. And then you have a condo across the street from it that's maybe 45,000 baht a square meter. It's empty and nobody's buying it. So what does that mean? That means that the new condo is going to be an old condo at some point and it's gonna face the same fate. So they need to do something and address that at some point. And potentially 
putting caps on what new developments are charging, right? Adjusting this whole inflated land price, um, that might help. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I don't see anything happening in the next five years. Right. All right. So, you, so you've painted this troubling uh, picture of the overall real estate landscape right now. Right. You said earlier that uh, you shouldn't, you wouldn't advise someone to buy a condo unless they absolutely know what they're doing. Yeah. Right. And then you're talking about um, all these, all these things that, that Thailand, whether the industry itself or the government would need to do in order to overcome these challenges. But in the right. end, you say, you don't have a crystal ball. You don't know what's going on. You have no idea what's going to happen. Right. But you, you yourself are still buying and selling properties, right? It's not like you're, you're, you're like yeah, throwing yeah. your hands up and you're not. So, so now having, having this viewpoint in mind, mm. how do you, let, let's start with you first, because sure. I don't want, I don't, I don't want this to get into like, oh, this is investment advice and all like that, because you don't want, right. you don't, you don't want to give that too. So let's talk about you first. Okay. And then maybe sure. the listeners can, can maybe emulate, uh, pick and choose your sure. philosophy or all that. So having this viewpoint of the market that you just outlined, how are you approaching uh, the real estate market now? Okay. Um, so I've had to pivot a few times how I've done things. I, I always, I love property. I love beautiful condos. I love office space. I love lands, the possibilities with them. Uh, so I always get excited. I mean, I, I look at property all the time. I'm always looking at new properties, old properties. Uh, people are always giving me stuff. So that's something that never stops. Even here, there's some beautiful properties in Thailand. I mean, the construction is quite good. Um, the design is excellent. And in general, the pricing is pretty good, right? My, my only problem is with the resale right? The resale and the cost of maintaining it, it doesn't match up um, for an investment, right? For the most part, right? But there's still beautiful places here. So what, what I do is I- Sorry, I, just, just interrupt very quickly. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I forgot to ask you this. Now, are you talking about properties in Bangkok or other cities too? I'm specifically talking about Bangkok. Bangkok. All right, cool. Now that we know that. All right. This is, this is the market yeah. that I know. Um, okay, cool. I, yeah. This is a market that I know. Outside of Bangkok, it's quite difficult for me to to. Okay, to great. Just yeah. just so we're clear about that. But it's All great. Right. It's good. I didn't. I also didn't. Uh, yep. I also didn't say that earlier. So I'm always looking at property. I love it, and I always think there's deals to be had. So, um, and again, going back to a bit of advice, what I tell people is: Are you buying this for yourself, or are you buying it to make money? Right. If you're buying it to make money, you have to you have to look at the numbers. And you have to understand how you feel when you walk into that property. If it's 20,000 baht per square meter, it's a distressed sale, but you go in and it looks terrible and you feel bad, it means everybody else who's gonna walk into that property is gonna feel bad too, right? Um, because there's no, there's no real consistent market for how things are bought and sold, you can't just sell things because it's a low price, right? Um, and you can't sell things because it looks beautiful. So, um, I used to look at property that's just like luxury property on Sukhumvit, Siloam, on the river, this and that. And I always wanted to buy it. I always wanted to own it. But I never saw the, the numbers never made sense to me, right? They're so much more expensive. And when I'm looking at the market, like when I'm trying to sell things myself, I see who's buying it. Nobody's going to buy that for me for like a 20, 30% markup. They're not. 
You're just not going to do it. So I look at different properties. So there's a whole other market of sub 2 million properties that I was getting into, um, God, in like 2010, 2009. There's a lot of these coming up. And these were close to the MRT, but maybe like a kilometer away. Uh, so I bought a lot of these, renovated them. The rent was excellent. People were giving around like 10,000 baht um, per month when the property was, maybe I bought it for like 700,000, 800,000 baht, put in 100,000 baht to renovate it. Um, so I was making quite good return. So, and I, I bought and sold a lot of these. At any given point, I can always sell. So that's something I looked into. And the reason I'm saying this is because I came in not expecting to buy that kind of property, right? Is that my dream property that I want to live in? No. But after going through the market and understanding things a little bit more, I'm like, okay, you know what? I see these moving a lot. They're rarely vacant. People always needed things at this price point. Do I advise people to go and do that now? No, right? The market's changed. <laughs> more of those properties have come in. So now Bangkok's a bit saturated with them, right? You have to find something else. Um, for me, I moved into strata offices, right? And that's something I understand. I buy old, uh, older office spaces and I renovate them a bit and I rent them out. So and that's what you're doing primarily right now? That's what I primarily do right now. And I'm going to do that until I think it's not a good idea anymore. Okay. Right? Until maybe too many more people get into it. or So for me, these kind of properties, you can't make them anymore. You cannot actually buy land and create these kind of properties anymore. It's too expensive. And the prices they're going for, um, it's just, it's pretty reasonable. And the rent is still pretty decent. People still need B-grade properties. Not everybody can afford A-grade properties, right? But this could change. In Hong Kong, these have become stranded properties, right? So I also have to keep an eye out um, to not get too comfortable yeah. thinking that my strategy is going to work forever. So what signals do you look at when you keep your eyes out to determine, all right, this is not going to work out. This is oversaturated. This here presents an opportunity. Um, a good indicator is, I mean, I have a lot of, I'm, I'm in good communication with a lot of agents, right? Mm -hmm. um, and right now the agent market has exploded. Before there was a, a few good agents and now everybody can be an agent. And you don't really need any kind of certification process um, to get to become an agent. Anybody can be a co-broker at this point. Technically, there's some laws against, but for the actual market, anybody can be a broker. Anybody can be an agent and get commission off of a property, right? So I talk to a lot of them. I send my properties to a lot of them. Um, even if something is rented out, people still call me, you know, over the year, like, hey, we have a customer here. Is it still open? So I find when those calls stop and when it starts to get more and more and more difficult, that's when I'm trying to understand why, right? Like right now, my office space is quite difficult to rent out, but that's also because the pandemic is going on, right? And when things ease with that, I believe it'll go back to normal. I don't think it's a time to panic. But when I notice that the market is doing well and I'm not getting calls, that's, it's a time to start thinking, right? Um, many times I try to get ahead of the curve. So I'm also looking at what are the, what are the new types of things that I can get into. Um, I've also invested in some other businesses as well outside of property. So I also like to uh, talk to people who are who are in business to understand like where do you see the where do you see the country going? What are the new laws that are coming out? Um, what are the new investments the government's making? What are the investments the private sector is making? 
Um, is Bangkok turning into a hub for something specific? Um, so I'm always trying to understand like what is happening, right? What is happening in the general like uh, in the general market? So it sounds to me that um, your answer is building up your network and listening from what your network says. Because you, because right. um, I, I I noticed you mentioned that when you started out too, you you network with a lot of lawyers and a lot mm -hmm. of peers too. Right. So it seems to me that this is a, a a strategy that you've always utilized is is always um, building up a network and right. communicating with with people and like you said, real estate mm -hmm. agents and people who are feeding you basically. Um, what's it called? I guess you can call it empirical market data for you and their perspective on the market too. Right. Yeah. It's still my job to pick and choose um, what data they're giving me to utilize. Right? Okay. Um, but it's also they're experts in their own in their own field, right? More so than I am. So I love to get as much information from people as possible. Yeah. And I'll aggregate it however I see fit. So um, we talked about um, basically your, your, your viewpoints on, on getting into real estate from the perspective right. of being an investor. You right. don't really see opportunities in residential real estate or condos right now. You think they're kind of overly saturated. You're focusing on um, office space right now. Mm -hmm. Now, let's actually talk about um, someone who's looking into um, residential real estate just to buy sure. it. Yeah. yeah, you got it. Um, okay, so I, I would say people are going to buy for two reasons, right? Number one is they want to buy for themselves and they, they don't want to rent, right? They don't want to rent. They don't want to spend all this money um, every month going to some, somebody, other, somebody else's pocket, right? So for people like that, if you can find a property that you love, that you can see yourself in, and it's going to allow you to make money in another way or to relax, I say go for it, right? Just, just understand the costs involved with owning a property um, and that you might have a little bit of trouble selling it, but you might not, right? You might not, you might get lucky. You might get lucky and it might go up in value, or you might know something that other people don't and it might go up in value. Right? Or it might not, and you might sell at a loss. But in the meantime, um, you haven't spent all this rent over the years, right? So you've reaped more value out of it than just monetary, right? This exactly. is a place that you can call right. home, raise exactly. a family there. This is a place right. that is located. It gives you a great view, a great living uh, quality of living, all like that. These are exactly. non-quantifiable qualities that this place exactly. is giving you. And I, I always encourage people, if you see something you love, go for it. Yeah. Just understand your cash flow because um, problems with cash flow cause stress. Doesn't matter how much you love a property, if you're fighting, uh, if you're fighting to make ends meet to pay for this property, it gets stressful, right? And you stop, you stop loving it, right? But if you have cash and you have money, um, screw it, enjoy, go buy it, focus on something else, right? Enjoy your place, focus on something else. Now, I see a lot of people who also want to buy for investment. Right. So, uh, and these are usually first time property buyers. So they're making pretty good money with their corporate job. And, um, or maybe they have a little bit of extra time. They think they can, you know, buy something and renovate it. So a lot of foreigners ask me, how do I, how do I mortgage a property here? And I would just say, you really can't, 
um, as a foreigner. Yes, there's a few loopholes that you might be able to find, but in general, you cannot, right? You really have to buy things in cash. Um, and I don't advise people buying it in somebody else's name um, and working out a deal because unless you know what you're doing and you know that person and you've, you've been in a fight with that person and you guys can still be cordial with each other and follow like some rules, I don't advise anybody to do that, okay. right? Just like stick to the books, right? <laughs> you yeah. wouldn't do that in the US. You wouldn't buy, you wouldn't buy a property under somebody else's name because uh, to use the benefits of their ability to, um, to borrow money, right? Yeah. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that here. So what I would advise them is to understand kind of like have a cheat sheet for what it costs to buy a property, what it costs to sell a property, what the negotiating points are, right? So if you go on any lawyer's website, they'll basically have an idea of what it costs, right? You have your business tax, your withholding tax, your uh, transfer fees, it's around five, 6%. Um, and that's negotiable between the buyer and seller, right? Um, what you're supposed to do is split the transfer fee half-half and the seller takes care of the rest of the costs. But what I found is like, that's always a negotiating point. So just realize if you negotiate it um, in the beginning when you buy, you might have to negotiate it when you sell, right? Uh, another thing I would tell people to watch out for is the price that's declared at the land department. So before the, um, the pricings, of the market did not reflect the pricing of the evaluation price at the land department. So let's say you bought a condo for 10 million baht. A lot of people would declare that at 6 million baht or 7 million baht, right? And what that does is it saves taxes and transfer fee costs. And it also helps the seller get out of capital gains, right? So if they bought it for 6 million, they don't wanna sell it for more than 7 million, right? Because after a million baht, you have to pay capital gains. I would say the market has changed. Everything now is getting to the point where if you buy it for 10 million baht, register it at 10 million baht. Because if you sell it, if you buy it at 10 million, but you registered at six, if you sell it at the market price that you bought it for, you have to pay capital gains on like 3 million baht, right? Just do everything by the book. That's, that's what I recommend people and understand that, right? When they're negotiating and um, building these contracts. So I love this journey you've outlined for us and, and imparting all the lessons learned and advice you've given all here. This is extremely valuable. So I'd like to move on to um, actually a straight up Q&A session here, sure. just, just okay. to like, like maybe some of these questions you've already touched upon in, uh, in this session already, but just wanna just like go through the bullet point list and just like answer these uh, definitively here. Okay. okay. So, so the first one would be, um, would you recommend using lawyers and real estate agents? Um, I think both of them are extremely helpful in the right circumstance. So uh, I believe in your previous interview with Siam Legal, he, he made a good point. If you're spending 20 million baht or 30 million baht on a property, use a lawyer, <laughs> right? Like check, check the due diligence on things, do this, do that. Um, but if you're buying something for a million baht, don't spend a hundred thousand baht on a lawyer, right? That's too much, right? That's too, that's too much. And it's going to eat into your ability to make profit and your cash flow, right? Um, let, let, me, let me try to break down my answer so it's a little bit more clear. Um, not every lawyer is helpful 
uh, and not all law firms are reputable. So you can't Google a law firm and then they're going to, they're going to be, um, you know, beholden to the law to protect you. Right. There's some law firms that are fantastic. I use a law firm for a lot of my dealings, uh, but I trust them and I know them and I know like, and, and we have open conversations. Right. So I would recommend if you're going to use a lawyer, talk to several and find one that can communicate with you and helps you to understand better how things work. Not that just takes care of everything and, and you don't have to worry about anything. You should always know the details of your own transactions. As for agents, of course, I think you need to use agents um, unless you have the time and the ability to find people yourself, right? So if you can get your own client, get your own client, right? Mm -hmm. um, but most likely I find that agents are the ones that have the big network and the big uh, Rolodex of all these people that can come and check out your places. Uh, but they don't have the same, they don't have the same responsibility as real estate agents in the US and in other Western countries, right? So if they if you use one to buy and sell, they're not going to do a, an inspection on your property, right? If they see something wrong, they don't have to tell you before you put money in and buy it, right? Mm. Um, there's a lot of things they don't have to do and that they're not responsible for. So just understand that. Okay, great. Awesome. So the next question is, um, throughout your career, mm -hmm. what, what were some challenges that you've come across being a foreigner? That, that challenges that are unique to being a foreign buyer? Okay. Um, you know, the communication gap is always a little bit tough here because... And, and, it, and it's not just the problem with, with the language, but it's, it's how, we, how we say things, not just what we're saying. So I find that in the US, if something doesn't work, I just say, hey, this, this is terrible and get it done or I'm not gonna pay, right? So that doesn't mean that I'm gonna run away, like take somebody else's work. It's like, it's just stuff you say, right? Here, um, people can take that very seriously, right? Um, they can take it seriously and it can escalate into some very bad blood very quickly. So I would say, especially with foreigners, you have to be careful with your words. You can be strict and you'd be very clear what you like, what you don't like, but you have to be careful how you approach, how you say it. Because I find that um, when foreigners say some things, ties can get triggered because they don't want to be taken advantage of by people coming into the country and telling the locals that they suck, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes simple things can come across that way. So just be careful how you say things. In a previous discussion we had, yeah, we talked about money in, money out. Can you talk about yes. that a little? Yeah. Yes, sure. Um, so I keep I have so many stories. So before when I was first um, when I was first here, I was using HSBC. So any money I was bringing in from the States was going through HSBC. We had this TATASAM or TT3 system, right? So you send money in, uh, you fill out these forms, what you're buying the property for, blah, 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 blah. You do the whole thing at the land department using that document, you get it. The problem was when you sold, right? Because most of the time you didn't sell. And Actually, sorry, before we yeah. get to selling money out. Yeah, um, yeah sure. I, ju I just want to clarify something. Um, is it correct that you can only buy property with money you brought in? Can you buy property with money you made in Thailand? Uh, I would say for your general audience, 
you can only buy property with money you brought in from another country. Okay. It can be the US, it can be India, it can be UK, it can be any other place, right? It just has to be a foreign money transaction, right? right. Are there some loopholes? Yes. Do I recommend them? No, right? Uh, <laughs> um, you have, there's so many caveats with these things, right? It's like, yes, you can technically own this. There's how many treaties you can do. That's something that some people might want to look into uh, with multiple foreign ownership uh, from like the US or something you can technically own. But there's a lot of things that can destroy those deals as well, right? Like BOI status, if you lose that eventually, or if this happens or that happens, you have to be very careful, right? right. Um, and same thing with buying under a property, uh, under a company. Um, a lot of people used to have holding companies to buy property. And with a company, yes, you can use funds from, uh, from in, in the country, right? They don't have to be from abroad. So people would have holding companies. Uh, holding companies don't work here anymore. And the land departments understand that. So they want, they want to see real Thai ownership, right? Um, and that's, that's done to protect Thai people, right? Um, Thailand doesn't want foreigners to come over and just take all the opportunities, all the land, all the properties away, right? Um, it can get, you know, it can feel a bit much as a foreigner, but just understanding why they're doing it in the first place and just navigating around it, you'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. Right. So but that's yeah, money right. in. Yeah. So that's money in, right? You need to bring money in uh, from out of the country. I won't advise people to do otherwise. All right, so yeah, sorry to cut you off. So now we, let's, no let's talk about no money problem. out. Okay, so uh, before we talk about money out, let's talk about the cost of maintaining a property, right? Okay. So um, let's say, you know what? No, let's do money out first. So let's say you buy a property, blah, 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 and then over the years, and then you sell it. Yeah. The problem before was that you had to show a paper trail of all of the transactions in your account to show that like that money that goes back into your account comes from this property sale, right? So you had to go to the bank, show the documents, the purchase contract, the sales contract, um, show all of your, your bank statement from the time that the money came into your account from a foreign bank account, all of this stuff. And then the bank had to send that to the Bank of Thailand for approval, right? I would wrestle with them for months sometimes to get money out. It was very difficult. Right, because a lot, okay, on the one hand, every country wants money coming in. The US is the same. You bring money into the US, easy, no problem, right? You take money out of the US, why, right? Why is it, why is it leaving the country, right? Yeah. And what are you doing? And did you do anything illegal? And did you pay all your taxes? Thailand wants to do the same thing. So it's nothing, it's not like, it's nothing crazy, but it's something to think about, right? So make sure your paperwork is perfect when it's coming in understand everything you need, keep all your documents, don't lose them, and try to keep a separate account for your properties specifically, right? So at the end of the day, when you want to transfer back, um, the bank can see that there's a clear paper trail, right? Right now, so just to finish, they don't do the Tata Sam system anymore. It's a bit more streamlined. So you basically transfer in from your bank, um, from wherever you need a note that says this is going for property purchase. You need all the documents here to show uh, that you're paying the full amount for a condo and the, the bank will help you with that. Usually you have to go to like the bank's head office and they'll walk you through the whole thing that you need to do. So I would recommend people just talk to them because that changes, that changes sometimes the exact documents that you need to give them. 
okay. to show proof of all of this. So um, yeah, but it's, it's a standard process now. Any other challenges um, that are unique to being a foreign buyer or any other general caveats you have? Okay, well, a general caveat I would say is rentals, right? So return here is pretty bad when it comes to condos. Um, some condos you can get 1%, 2% return. Some oh, you might gosh. get lucky and get like five, six, 7% return. Um, but a lot of times people are throwing return around like it's owed to you, right? Like, oh, if you spend this much, you'll get this much return. It's not true at all, right? The market's all over the place. And at the end of the day, you have to look at your bottom line. So you have common fees for a project, right? So every condo has common fees or maintenance fees, whatever you call them, you have to pay every month, right? Sometimes there's building insurance. Um, you have to pay repair costs. You have to do renovations. So if you're buying a condo that's empty, you have to put in furniture. Most, um, like in the US, you can rent out a, an empty condo. That's normal. Here, mostly people rent out furnished condos. So you have to buy furniture. You have to buy air conditioners. You have to do this. You have to do that. So there's a cost to it. And everything breaks down, especially air conditioners. That will be your biggest maintenance cost. <laughs> <laughs> um, another Barn thing is that when you talk to foreigners that have been here for a long time, um, a lot of them don't understand how income tax work because the condo market has been, for the most part, off the books for a lot of people, right? But the revenue department is getting more comprehensive. They're, um, they're incorporating more ways of understanding the market and data. So you are going to be taxed eventually, you should prepare for it. So you should understand that um, eventually, like you need to send your contracts to the revenue department, you need to declare all of this stuff. And depending on how much money you're making in Thailand, you can be taxed up to 20, 30%. That's just from the income uh, tax department. Then there's property tax. Now Thailand has a new property tax uh, laws. They're very comprehensive those are also gonna go up over the next 10 years, slowly, systematically, right? Where they're gonna end up, I'm not sure, and that could change, right? But that's another cost. Um, agent fees are also, um, that's a month off um, per year, right? Mm -hmm. So now the standard I've been hearing is one year is one month, two years is one and a half, three years is two months, right? Um, so that's also, and then there's vacancies. It takes time to find rent sometimes. Sometimes your place can go empty for two months, six months um, if you're trying to get the perfect price. So just, just realize that it's not so simple. It's not so simple and account for that for your cash flow before you buy it, yep. if that's your purpose. Yep. I really appreciate this sobering and real, honestly realistic outlook or assessment on the overall Thai real estate market and you coming in here and talking about all the things to be careful of, things to um, take into consideration. And I really appreciate um, your willingness to come here and really imparting your wisdom to people that want to get started in real estate and all like that. And I'm honestly like very impressed, but um, despite that, despite your realization of all these obstacles and challenges, you're still very excited and enthusiastic about um, buying and selling real estate in Thailand. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's fun and it's exciting. Like Thailand's, Thailand's a very unique place, right? Yeah. There's so many things that Thailand has that the rest of the world does not, right? Yeah. 
um, just the sheer breadth of different types of landscapes in the country, the beaches, the mountains, the modernized cities. I mean, uh, the people, right? It's yeah. it's a great place. And, and I do see great things happening for the country over time, right? Yeah. Um, I just want people to be careful when they buy property, not to think that um, it's guaranteed to go up in price for them. Yeah. Be a little bit more savvy. Yeah. And another thing is like, um, maybe maybe it didn't come off as much in this session, but last mm -hmm. session, what I was really impressed was um, when, whenever you talked about uh, a, a challenge or even a, a scam or, or, or an obstacle that you confronted right. while you, you were in Thailand, mm -hmm. you, you didn't just like throw up your hands and say, oh, Thailand is the land of scams and you know, there's no opportunities yeah. here and everyone's out to get you. Right. You were very analytical and very like still was trying to approach it in a very systematic way and still try to find opportunities, right? I mean, I feel like a lot, that's a success barrier for a lot of people is that, and I see in comment sections of like, oh, don't ever buy and sell property in Thailand. You'll never see your money ever again. It's the land of scams. It's like, Jesus, man, like um, how are you going to succeed if you have this mindset to begin with? I think you, you bring up a good point, right? Um, I've seen this a lot, right? Yeah. Um, I've seen this a lot, right? And so I always believe in a balance, right? Yeah. You need to be able to complain a little bit, you know, without people telling you to go home, right? Yeah. But if you if you complain too much without any, any ability to try to fix it or move around the frustration points, then at the end of the day, it's your own fault for putting yourself in that situation that you didn't understand, right? Um, I think anybody who moves to a foreign country or anybody who's in business, that's the whole point, right? Is to try something new that's out of your comfort zone that you did not grow up with and find a way to make it work. And you don't just bulldoze your way through, you know, somebody else's culture to do that. You compromise. And you, you take something, you pick yourself up and you find a way to beat the challenge in a good way. And I've always found that that's worked well for me. Um, so yeah, there are always challenge points, right? Challenge points, and it's a way to make yourself a little bit more savvier, a little bit better, and more prepared in the future. Excellent way to end it. Raj, thank you so much for coming on, imparting your wisdom. Really, really appreciate your time yeah, today. Thank and you. I, I really appreciate you uh, bringing me on. And I really like your videos. You know, keep, keep, uh, keep on doing them. I think they're really valuable really helpful. I wish, I wish I had more of this information when I started, to be honest. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's, that's the goal of my channel is I think I, I'd like to curate and put together um, people like you and professionals like um, the Siam legal lawyer before that mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. to, to clarify and shine light on a lot of issues in Thailand, right? It is a foreign country. There's right. a lot of um, uncertainties and all like that, but there's people who've who've done it like you. Right. And then there's people out there that will, can help you out. And so, yeah, this, this is my, this is my goal here too, to put together a whole like resource for people to help settle and do business in Thailand right. here. And overall, when I, when we bring, when quality people come into Thailand, they raise the quality of the whole country as a whole too. I totally agree. Right. I this totally is my agree. country too. I'm half Thai, half American. So mm -hmm. I have both feet like in the West and in Thailand. And so I want to see my country develop and I want to bring in quality people and doing this hopefully uh, fulfills that goal. Couldn't agree more. Well, yeah. thank you. Looking forward to seeing more of them. And thank you so much for having me today. Thank you.